0: Asleep with Gina Marie. I'm still Gina. (laughs) And Marie is still um, missing. But that's all right. You're here. And you are here for a classic story from a renowned author. And we have 263 episodes filled with just that ready for you. Thank you for being here. And thank you for your likes, comments, and subscriptions, too. Well, last week, we brought you an exciting, exciting, is that a word? An exciting story from Ambrose Bierce. It was not from his historical selections. We have those too. Scroll back. But this one was a horror sci-fi tale. If you haven't had a chance to hear it, do so. And in today's story, Ambrose Bierce himself makes an appearance It's not a prolonged one, but I'm sure you'll catch it. The author who wrote Mr. Beers right into the plot is Stanley Ellen. Now, his is not a name everyone is familiar with, I know, but he was beloved by many, including Ellery Queen. Mr. Ellen won Ellery Queen's Best First Story Award His short stories often appeared in the Ellery Queen Mystery Magazine. Actually, I found out that none of his submissions were ever rejected by this publication. Ellery Queen stated, Stanley Ellen's mystery stories stand shoulder to meaty shoulder with all the great modern books in its field. And there definitely will be more on that meaty part. A bit later. Brooklyn, I'm sure you're proud of your native son. In addition to his short stories, Stanley Ellen wrote novels. Six feature films were adapted from his works, along with 20 to 30 television episodes. He is a major literary figure throughout the world, and his works appear in 22 languages. Mr. Ellen's First attempt to ever publish anything became his most famous and most awarded short story. And that story is truly one of my favorites. It's coming up today. Despite two moments that I must warn you about, you know me, people of East Indian descent are praised for their attractiveness in this story and rightfully so. But they're also in a role of servitude that makes me uncomfortable. (sighs) And women are so disparaged in a moment in this story. I almost said film. And you know I didn't like that one either. But please, don't let that scare you. (laughs) Let the story do that. You know what this story is all about. Here's the question. How is it going to end? Tuck in, everybody, for Stanley Ellen's The Specialty of the House. is Spiro's. Costain saw a square brownstone facade identical with the others that extended from either side into the clammy darkness of the deserted street. From the barred windows of the basement at his feet, a glimmer of light showed behind heavy curtains. Lord, he observed, it's a dismal hole, isn't it? I beg you to understand, said Loeffler stiffly, that Zbiro's is the restaurant without pretensions. Besieged by these ghastly, neurotic times, it has refused to compromise. It Is perhaps the last important establishment in this city lit by gas jets. Here you will find the same honest furnishings, the same magnificent Sheffield service, and possibly in a far corner the very same spider webs that were remarked by the patrons of a half century ago. A doubtful recommendation, said Costain, and hardly sanitary. When you enter, Loeffler continued, you leave the insanity of this year, this day, and this hour, and you find yourself for a brief span, restored in spirit, not by opulence, but by dignity, which is the lost quality of our time. Costain laughed uncomfortably. (laughs) "You, You make it sound more like a cathedral than a restaurant, he said. In the pale reflection of the street lamp overhead, Loeffler peered at his companion's face. I wonder, he said abruptly, whether I have not made a mistake in extending this invitation to you. Costain was hurt. Despite an impressive title and large salary, he was no more than a clerk to this pompous little man, but he was impelled to make some display of his feelings. If you wish, he said coldly, I can make other plans for my evening with no trouble. With his large cow-like eyes turned up to Costain. The mist drifting into the ruddy full moon of his face. Lovler seemed strangely ill at ease. And then, no, no, he said at last, absolutely not. It's important that you dine at sbiro's with me, he grabbed. Costain's arm firmly and led the way to the wrought iron gate of the basement. You see, you're the sole person in my office who seems to know anything at all about good food. And on my part, knowing about Spiro's but not having some appreciative friend to share it, it's like... A unique piece of art, locked in a room where no one else can enjoy it. Costain was considerably mollified by this. Hmm. I understand there are a great many people who relish that situation. I'm not one of that kind, Loeffler said sharply. And having the secret of Spiros locked in myself for years has finally become unendurable. He fumbled at the side of the gate, and from within could be heard the small, discordant jangle of an ancient pull-bell. An interior door opened with a groan, and Costain found himself peering into a face whose only discernible feature was a row of gleaming teeth. "'Sir,' said the face, Uh, "'Mr. Loeffler and a Guest,' "'Sir,' the face said again, this time in what was clearly an invitation. It moved aside, and Costain stumbled down a single step behind his host. The door and gate creaked behind him, and he stood blinking in a small foyer It took him a moment to realize that the figure he now stared at was his own reflection in a gigantic, pure glass that extended from floor to ceiling. atmosphere, he said under his breath and chuckled as he followed his guide to his seat. He faced Loeffler across a small table for two and peered curiously around the dining room. It was no size at all, but the half-dozen guttering gas jets, which provided the only illumination through such a deceptive light that the walls flickered and faded into uncertain distance. There was no more than eight or ten tables, about, arranged to ensure the maximum privacy. All were occupied, and the few waiters serving them moved with quiet efficiency. In the air were a soft clash and scrape of cutlery and a soothing murmur of talk. Costain nodded appreciatively. Loeffler breathed an audible sigh of gratification. I knew you would share my enthusiasm, he said. Have you noticed, by the way, that there are no women present? Costain raised inquiring eyebrows. Zbiro, said Loeffler, does not encourage members of the fair sex to enter the premises. And, I can tell you, his method is decidedly effective. I had the experience of seeing a woman get a taste of it not long ago. She sat at a table for not less than an hour waiting for service, which was never forthcoming. Didn't she make a scene? She did. Loeffler smiled at the recollection. She succeeded in annoying the customers, embarrassing her partner, and nothing more. And what about Mr. Spiro? He he did not make an appearance. Whether he directed affairs from behind the scenes or was not even present during the episode, I, I don't know. Whichever it was, he won a complete victory. The woman never reappeared nor, for that matter, did the witless gentleman who, by bringing her here, was really the cause of the entire contretemps. Hmm. A fair warning to all present, laughed Costain. A waiter now appeared at the table. The chocolate-dark skin, the thin, beautifully-molded nose and lips, the large, liquid eyes, heavily lashed, And the silver-white hair, so heavy and silken that it lay on the skull like a cap, all marked him, definitely, as an East Indian of some sort. Costain decided. The man arranged the stiff table linen, filled two tumblers from a huge cut-glass pitcher, and set them in their proper places. Tell me, Loeffler said eagerly, is the special being served this evening? The waiter smiled regretfully and showed teeth as spectacular as those of the Major Domo. I am so sorry, sir. There is no special this evening. Loeffler's face fell into heavy lines of heavy disappointment. Oh, well, after waiting so long, it's been a month already, and I hope to show my friend here. You understand the difficulties, sir? Of course. Of course. Loeffler looked at Costain sadly and shrugged. You see, I had in mind to introduce you to the greatest treat that Zabiro's offers. But unfortunately, it isn't on the menu this evening, the waiter said. Do you wish to be served now, sir? And Loeffler nodded. To Costain's surprise, the waiter made his way off without waiting for any instructions. Have you ordered in advance? He asked. Ah, said Laffler. I really should have explained. Spiros offers no choice whatsoever. You will eat the same meal as everyone else in this room. Tomorrow evening, you would eat an entirely different meal, but again, without designating a single preference. Huh, very unusual, said Costain, and certainly unsatisfactory at times. What if one doesn't have a taste for the particular dish set before him? On that score, said Loeffler solemnly, You need have no fears. I give you my word that no matter how exacting your tastes, you will relish every mouthful you eat in Sbiro's. Costain looked doubtful, and Loeffler smiled. And consider the subtle advantages of the system, he said. When you pick up the menu of a popular restaurant, you find yourself confronted with innumerable choices. You are forced to weigh, to evaluate, to make uneasy decisions which you may instantly regret. The effect of all this is a a tension which, however slight, must make for discomfort. And consider the mechanics of the process... Instead of a hurly burly of sweating cooks rushing about a kitchen in a frenzy to prepare a hundred varying items, we have a chef who stands serenely alone, bringing all his talents to bear on one task with all assurance of a complete triumph. Then you have seen the kitchen. Ah oh, unfortunately, no,' said Loeffler, sadly. "'The picture I offer is hypothetical, "'made of conversational fragments "'I have pieced together over the years. "'I must admit, though, "'that my desire to see the functioning of the kitchen here, oh, "'it comes very close to being my sole obsession nowadays.' Have you mentioned this to Spiro? Oh, yeah, a dozen times. He shrugs the suggestion away. Isn't that a rather curious foible on his part? No, no, Loeffler said hastily. A master artist is never under the compulsion of petty courtesies. Still, he sighed. "Ah, I've never given up hope. The waiter now reappeared, bearing two soup bowls which he set in place with mathematical exactitude, and a small tureen from which he slowly ladled a measure of clear, thin broth. Costain dipped his spoon into the broth and tasted it with some curiosity. It was delicately flavored, Mm, bland, to the verge of tastelessness. Costain frowned, tentatively reached for the salt and pepper cellars and discovered there were none on the table. He looked up, saw Lawler's eyes on him, and although unwilling to compromise with his own tastes, he hesitated to act as a damper on Lawler's enthusiasm. Therefore, he smiled and indicated the broth. Excellent, he said. Loeffler returned his smile. (laughs) You do not find it excellent at all, he said. You find it flat and badly in need of condiments. I know this, he continued, as Costain's eyebrows shot upward. Because it was my own reaction many years ago, and because, like yourself, I found myself reaching for salt and pepper after the first mouthful. I also learned with surprise that condiments are not available in Spiros. Costain was shocked. Not even salt, he exclaimed. Not even salt. The very fact that you require it for your soup stands as evidence that your taste is unduly jaded. I am confident that you will now make the same discovery that I did. By the time you have nearly finished your soup, your desire for salt will be non-existent. Lawler was right. Before Costain had reached the bottom of his plate, he was relishing the nuances of the broth with steadily increasing delight. "'Loffler thrust aside his own empty bowl "'and rested his elbows on the table. "'Do you agree with me now?' "'To my surprise,' said Coasting, "'I do!' "'As the waiter busied himself clearing the table, "'Loffler lowered his voice significantly. "'You will find,' he said, "'that the absence of condiments is "'but one of several noteworthy characteristics.' which mark Zbiro's. I may as well prepare you for these. For example, no alcoholic beverages of any sort are served here, and nor for that matter any beverage except clear cold water, the first and only drink necessary for a human being. <laughs> Outside of mother's milk, suggested Costain dryly. Well... I can answer that in like vein by pointing out that uh, the average patron of bureaus has passed that primal stage of his development. <laughs> Costain laughed. Granted, he said. Very well. There is also a ban on the use of tobacco in any form. But good heavens! said Costaine. Doesn't that make Spiro's more a teetotaler's retreat than a gourmet's sanctuary? Oh. I fear, said Loeffler solemnly, that you confuse the words gourmet and gourmand. The gourmand, through glutting himself, requires a wider and wider latitude of experience to stir his surfeited senses. But... The very nature of the gourmet is simplicity. The ancient Greek in his coarse chitin, savoring the ripe olive. The Japanese in his bare room, contemplating the curve of a single flower stem. These are the true gourmets. But an occasional drop of brandy or pipe full of tobacco, said Costain dubiously, are hardly overindulgences. Mm. By alternating stimulant and narcotic, said Loeffler, you see saw the delicate balance of your taste so violently that it loses its most precious quality the appreciation of fine food. During my years as a patron of Zbiros, I have proved this to my satisfaction. May I ask, said Costain, why you regard the ban on these things as having such deep aesthetic motives? What about such mundane reasons as the high cost of a liquor license? or the possibility that patrons would object to the smell of tobacco in such confined quarters. Loeffler shook his head violently. If and when you meet Zbirro, he said, you will understand at once that he is not the man to make decisions on a mundane basis. As a matter of fact, it was Bureau himself who first made me cognizant of what you call aesthetic motives. Mm, an amazing man, said Costain, as the waiter prepared to serve the entree. Lawler's next words were not spoken until he had savored and swallowed a large portion of meat. Ah, I hesitate to use superlatives, he said, but to my way of thinking... Spiro represents man at the apex of his civilization. Costain cocked an eyebrow and applied himself to his roast, which rested in a pool of stiff gravy ungarnished by green or vegetable. The thin steam rising from it carried to his nostrils subtle, tantalizing odor which made his mouth water. He chewed a piece as slowly and thoughtfully as if he were analyzing the intricacies of a Mozart symphony. The range of taste, he discovered, was really extraordinary. From the pungent nip of the crisp outer edge to the peculiarly flat yet soul-satisfying ooze of blood which the pressure of his jaws forced from the half-raw interior. Upon swallowing, he found himself ferociously hungry for another piece, and then another, and... (laughs) It was only with an effort that he prevented himself from wolfing down all his share of the meat and gravy without waiting to get the full voluptuous satisfaction from each mouthful. When he scraped his platter clean, he realized that both he and Loeffler had completed the entire course without exchanging a single word. He commented on this and Loeffler said, can you see any need for words in the presence of such food? Costain looked around at the shabby, dimly lit room, the quiet diners with a new perception. No, he said humbly, I cannot. For any doubts I had I apologize unreservedly. In all your praise of Zbiros, there was not a single word of exaggeration. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, said delightedly. And that is only part of the story. You heard me mention the special, which unfortunately was not on the menu tonight. What you have just eaten is as nothing when compared to the absolute delights of that special. Good Lord, cried Costain. What is it? Nightingale's tongues? Soleil of unicorn? Neither, said Loeffler. It is lamb. Lamb? Loeffler remained lost in thought for a minute. If, uh, he said at last, If I were to give you, in my own unstinted words, my opinion of this dish, you would judge me completely insane. That is how deeply the mere thought of it affects me. It is neither the fatty chop nor the too solid leg. It is instead a select portion of the rarest sheep in existence and is named after the species Lamb Amirsten. Costain knit his brows. Amirsten. A fragment of desolation almost lost on the border which separates Afghanistan and Russia. From chance remarks dropped by Zbiro, I gather it is no more than a plateau which grazes the pitiful remnants of a flock of superb superb sheep. Zbiro, through some means or other, obtained rights to the traffic in this flock and is therefore the sole restaurateur ever to have Lamb Amirsten on his bill of fare. I can tell you that the appearance of this dish is a rare occurrence indeed, and luck is the only guide in determining for the clientele the exact date when it will be served. Ah, oh, but surely, said coasting Spiro could provide some advanced knowledge of this event. Hmm. The objection to that is simply stated, said Loeffler. There exists in this city a huge number of professional gluttons. Should advance information slip out, it is quite likely that they will out of curiosity, become familiar with the dish and thenceforth supplant the regular patrons at these tables. But you don't mean to say, objected Costain, that these few people present are the only ones in the entire city, or for that matter, in the whole wide world, who know of the existence of Mm Sbirro's? Very nearly. There may be one or two regular patrons who for some reason are not present at the moment. Well oh, that's incredible. It is done, said Lawler, the slightest shade of menace in his voice. By every patron, making it his solemn obligation to keep the secret. By accepting my invitation this evening, you automatically assume that obligation. I hope you can be trusted with it. Costain flushed. My position in your employ should vouch for me. I only question the wisdom of a policy which keeps such magnificent food away from so many who would enjoy it. Do you know the inevitable result of the policy you favor? asked Loeffler bitterly. An influx of idiots who would nightly complain that they are never served roast duck with chocolate sauce. Is that the picture tolerable to you? "Uh, No, admitted Costain. I am forced to agree with you. Loeffler leaned back in his chair wearily and passed his hand over his eyes in an uncertain gesture. I am a solitary man, he said, quietly, and not by choice, alone. It may sound strange to you. It, it may border on eccentricity, but I feel to my depths that this restaurant, this warm haven in a coldly insane world, is both family, and friend to me. And Costain, who to this moment had never viewed his companion as other than tyrannical employer or officious host, now felt an overwhelming pity twist inside his comfortably expanded stomach. By the end of two weeks, the invitations to join Loeffler at Spiro's had become something of a ritual. Every day at a few minutes after five, Costain would step out into the office corridor and lock his cubicle behind him. He would drape his overcoat neatly over his left arm and peer into the glass of the door to make sure his homburg was set at the proper angle. At one time, he would have followed this by lighting a cigarette. But under Loffler's prodding, he had decided to give abstinence a fair trial. Then he would start down the corridor and Loffler would fall in step at his elbow, clearing his throat. (coughs) Gostain No plans for this evening, I hope. No, Costain would say, I'm footloose and fancy-free. Or at your service. Or something equally inane. He wondered at times whether it would not be more tactful to vary the ritual with an occasional refusal. But the glow with which Loeffler received his answer and the rough friendliness of Loeffler's grip on his arm forestalled him. Among the treacherous crags of the business world, reflected Costain, what better way to secure your footing than friendship with one's employer? Already, a secretary close to the workings of the inner office had commented publicly on Loeffler's highly favorable opinion of Costain, (laughs) that was all to the good, and the food, the incomparable food at Spiro's. For the first time in his life, Costain, ordinarily a lean and bony man, noted with gratification that he was certainly gaining weight. Within two weeks, his bones had disappeared under a layer of sleek, firm flesh, And here and there were even signs of incipient plumpness. It struck Costain one night while surveying himself in his bath that the rotund Loffler himself might have been a spare and bony man before discovering Spiro's. So there was obviously everything to be gained and nothing to be lost by accepting Loeffler's invitations. Perhaps after testing the heralded wonders of Lamb Amirsten and Meetings Bureau, who thus far had not made an appearance, a refusal or two might be in order, but certainly not. Until then, that evening, two weeks to a day after his first visit to Spiro's, Kostain had both desires fulfilled. He dined on Lamb Amirston and he met Spiro. Both exceeded all. His expectations. Stay with us. We'll be right back. His first visit to Spiro's, Costain had both desires fulfilled. He dined on lamb amirston, and he met Spiro. Both exceeded all his expectations. When the waiter leaned over their table, immediately after seating them. "'and gravely announced, "'Tonight is special, sir.' "'Costain was shocked "'to find his heart pounding with expectation. "'On the table before him, "'he saw Loffler's hands trembling violently. "'But it isn't natural,' he thought suddenly. 2 full-grown men, "'presumably intelligent "'and in the full possession of their senses,' as jumpy as a pair of cats waiting to have their meat flung to them. This is it, Loeffler's voice startled him so that he almost leaped from his seat. The culinary triumph of all times. And, faced by it, you are embarrassed by the very emotions it distills. How did you know that? Costain asked, faintly. How? Because a decade ago, I underwent your embarrassment. And to that, your air of revulsion. And it's easy to see how affronted you are by the knowledge that man has not yet forgotten how to slaver over his meat. And these others, whispered Costain, do they all feel the same thing? Judge for yourself. Costain looked furtively around at the nearby tables. You are right," he finally said. At any rate, there's comfort in numbers. Loeffler inclined his head slightly to the side. "Hm," one of the numbers," he remarked, "appears to be in for a disappointment." Costain followed the gesture. At the table indicated a gray-haired man sat conspicuously, alone, and Costain frowned at the empty chair opposite him. Oh, why, yes, he recalled. That very stout, bald man, isn't it? I believe it's the first dinner he's missed here in two weeks. The entire decade, more likely, said Loeffler sympathetically. Rain or shine, crisis or calamity, I don't think he's missed an evening at bureau since the first time I dined here. Imagine his expression when he's told that on his very first defection, Lamb of was the plat du jour. Costain looked at the empty chair again with a dim discomfort. His very first, he murmured. Mr. Loffler, and friend, I am so pleased, so very, very pleased. No, do not stand. I will have a place made. Miraculously, a seat appeared under the figure, standing there at the table. The Lamb Amirsten will be an unqualified successor. I myself have been stewing in the miserable kitchen all the day, prodding the foolish chef to do everything just so. The just so is the important part, eh? But I see your friend does not know me. An introduction, perhaps? The words ran in a smooth, fluid eddy. They rippled, they purred, they hypnotized Costain so that he could do no more than stare. The mouth that uncoiled this sinuous monologue was alarmingly wide, with thin, mobile lips that curled and twisted with every syllable. There was a flat nose with a straggling line of hair under it, Wide set eyes that glittered in the unsteady flare of gaslight, and long sleek hair that swept back from high on the unwrinkled forehead, hair so pale that it might have been bleached of all color. An amazing face, surely, and the sight of it tortured Costain with the conviction that it was somehow familiar. His brain twitched and prodded, but could not stir up any solid recollection. Loeffler's voice jerked Costain out of his study. Mr. Bureau. Mr. Costain, a good friend and associate. Costain rose and shook the proffered hand. It was warm and dry, flint hard against his palm. I am so very pleased, Mr. Costain, so very, very pleased, purred the voice. You like my little establishment, eh? You have a great treat in store, I assure you. Loveler chuckled. Oh, Costain's been dining here "'regularly for two weeks,' he said. "'He's by way of becoming a great admirer of yours, Zbiro.' "'The eyes were turned on, Costain. "'A very great compliment. "'You compliment me with your presence, "'and I return same with my food. "'Ah, but the Lamb of "'is far superior to anything of your past experience.' I assure you, all the trouble of obtaining it, all the difficulty of preparation is truly merited. Costain strove to put aside the exasperating problem of that face. I have wondered, he said, why, with all these difficulties you mention you even bother to present Lamb a Meerston to the public? Surely your other dishes are excellent enough to uphold your reputation. Spiro smiled so broadly that his face became perfectly round. Perhaps it is a matter of the psychology, eh? Someone discovers a wonder and must share it with others. He must fill his cup to the brim, perhaps, by observing the so evident pleasure of those who explore it with him. Or, he shrugged, perhaps it is just a matter of good business. Then, in the light of all this, Costain persisted, "'And considering all the conventions you have imposed on your customers, "'why do you open the restaurant to the public "'instead of operating it as a private club?' "'The eyes abruptly glinted in two "'and then turned away. "'So perspicacious, eh? Huh? "'Then I will tell you, because... There is more privacy in a public eating place than in the most exclusive club in existence. Here, no one inquires of your affairs. No one desires to know the intimacies of your life. Here, the business is eating. We are not curious about names and addresses or the reasons for coming and going of our guests. We welcome you when you are here. We have no regrets when you are here no longer. That is the answer, huh? Costain was startled by this vehemence. I had no intention of prying, he stammered. Zbiro ran the tip of his tongue over his thin lips. No, no, he reassured. You are not prying. Do not let me give you that impression. On the contrary, I invite your questions. <laughs> oh, come on," Coste said. "Lawler, don't let Spiro intimidate you. I've known him for years, and I guarantee that his bark is worse than his bite. Before you know it, he'll be showing you all the privileges of the house, outside of inviting you to visit his precious kitchen, of course." Ah," smiled Spiro. For that, Mr. Costain may have to wait a little while. For everything else, I am at his beck and call. Loeffler slapped his hand jovially on the table. What did I tell you? He said. Now, let's have the truth. Spiro, has anyone outside of your staff ever stepped into the sanctum sanctorium? Sbirro looked up. You see, on the wall, above you, he said earnestly, "The portrait of one to whom I did the honor—a very dear friend and a patron of most long standing. He is evidence that my kitchen is not inviolate." Costing studied the picture, and started with recognition. Why, he said excitedly, that's the famous writer. You know the one, Lovler. He used to do such wonderful short stories and cynical bits and then suddenly took himself off and disappeared in Mexico. Ah, oh, of course cried Loeffler, and to think I've been sitting under his portrait for years without even realizing it. He turned to Spiro. A dear friend, you say? His disappearance, oh, must have been a blow to you. Spiro's face lengthened. Oh, it was, it was, I assure you. But uh, think of it this way, gentlemen. He was probably greater in his death than in his life, huh? A most tragic man. He often told me that his only happy hours were spent here, at this very table. Mm -hmm. Pathetic, is it not? And to think, the only favor I could ever show him was to let him witness The Mysteries of My Kitchen, which is when all is said and done no more than a plain, ordinary kitchen. You seem very certain of his death, commented Costain. After all, no evidence has ever turned up to substantiate it. Spiro contemplated the picture. None at all he said softly. Remarkable, huh? With the arrival of the entree, Zbiro leaped to his feet and set about serving them himself. With his eyes alight, he lifted the casserole from the tray and sniffed at the fragrance from within with sensual relish. Then, taking great care not to lose a single drop of gravy, he filled two platters with chunks of dripping meat. As if exhausted by this task, he sat back in his chair, breathing heavily. Oh, gentlemen, he said, to your good health. Costain chewed his first mouthful with great deliberation and swallowed it. Then he looked at the empty tines of his fork with glazed eyes. Good God, he breathed. Is it good? Uh, Better than you imagined? Costain shook his head dazedly is as impossible, he said slowly, for the uninitiated to conceive the delights of Lamb Amirston as for mortal man to look into his own soul. Perhaps Spiro thrust his head so close that Costain could feel the warm, fetid breath tickle his nostrils. Perhaps you have just had a glimpse into your soul. Huh? Costain tried to draw back slightly without giving offense. Perhaps, he laughed, and a gratifying picture it made, all fang and claw, but without intending any disrespect I should hardly like to build my church on lamb and casserole. Spiro rose and laid a hand gently on his shoulder. So perspicacious, he said. Sometimes when you have nothing to do, nothing, perhaps, but sit for a little while in a dark room and think of this world, what it is, in what it is going to be. Then, you must turn your thoughts a little to the significance of the Lamb in religion. It will be so interesting. And now, he bowed deeply to both men, I have held you long enough from your dinner. I was most happy, he said, nodding to Costain. And I am sure we we'll meet again. The teeth gleamed, the eyes glittered, and Spiro was gone down the aisle of tables. Costain twisted around to stare after the retreating figure. Have I I offended him in some way? He asked. Loeffler looked up from his plate. "Hmm. Offended him? Oh, he loves that kind of talk. Lamb Amirston is a ritual with him. Oh, you get him started, and he'll be back at you a dozen times worse than a priest making a conversion. Kostang turned to his meal with a face still hovering before him. Hmm. Interesting man, he reflected. Very. It took him a month to discover the tantalizing familiarity of that face and when he did he laughed aloud in his bed (gasps) of course Spiro might have sat as the model for the Cheshire Cat in Alice he passed this thought on to Loeffler the very next evening as they pushed their way down the street to the restaurant against a chill blustering wind Loeffler only looked blank. Eh, you may be right, he said, but I'm not a fit judge. It's a far cry back to the days when I read the book. A far cry indeed. As if taking up his words, a piercing howl came ringing down the street and stopped both men short in their tracks. Well, someone's in trouble there, said Loeffler. Look, not far from the entrance to his bureau's, two figures could be seen struggling in the near darkness. They swayed back and forth and suddenly tumbled into a writhing heap on the sidewalk. The piteous howl went up again, and Loffler, despite his girth, ran toward it at a fair speed, with Costain tagging cautiously behind. Stretched out full length on the pavement was a slender figure with the dusky complexion and white hair of one of Zbiro's servitors. His fingers were futilely plucking at the huge hands which encircled his throat, and his knees pushed weakly up at the gigantic bulk of a man who brutally bore down with his full weight. Loffler came up panting. "'Stop this!' he shouted. "'What's going on here?' The pleading eyes, almost bulging from their sockets, turned toward Loffler. "'Help, sir! This man! Drunk!' "'Drunk am I, ya dirty!' Costain saw now that the man was a sailor in a badly soiled uniform. The air around him reeked with the stench of liquor. Pick me pocket and then call me drunk, will you? He dug his fingers in harder and his victim groaned. Loffler seized the sailor's shoulder. Let go of him, do you hear? Let go of him at once, he cried and the next instant was sent careening into Costain, who staggered back under the force of the blow. The attack on his own person sent Loffler into immediate and berserk action. Without a sound, he leaped at the sailor, striking and kicking furiously at the unprotected face and flanks. Stunned at first, the man came to his feet with a rush and turned on Loffler. For a moment, they stood locked together, and then, as Costain joined the attack, all three went sprawling to the ground. Slowly, Loffler and Costain got to their feet and looked down at the body before them. He's either out cold from liquor, said Costain, or he struck his head going down. In any case, it's a job for the police. No, no, sir. The waiter crawled weakly to his feet and stood swaying. No, no, police, sir. Mr. Spiro, do not want such. You understand, sir? He caught hold of Costain with a pleading hand, and Costain looked at Lawler. Oh, uh, of course not, said Lawler. We won't have to bother with the police. They'll pick him up soon enough. The murderous sot. But what in the world started all this? That man, sir, he make most erratic way while walking, and With no meaning, I push against him, and then he attack me, accusing me to rob him. Oh, as I thought. Loeffler pushed the waiter gently along. Now, you go on in and get yourself attended to. The man seemed ready to burst into tears. To you, sir, I owe my life. If there is anything I can do... Loeffler turned into the areaway that led to Sbiro's door. No, no, it was nothing. You go along, and if Sbiro has any questions, you send him to me. I'll straighten it out. My life, sir, were the last words they heard as the inner door closed behind them. Well, there you are, Costain," said Loeffler. As a few minutes later... He drew his chair under the table. Civilized man in all his glory, reeking with alcohol, strangling to death some miserable innocent who came too close. Costain made an effort to gloss over the nerve-shattering memory of the episode. It's the neurotic cat that takes to alcohol, he said. Surely, there's a reason for that sailor's condition. Reason? Of course there is. Plain atavistic savagery. Loeffler swept his arm in an all-embracing gesture. Why do we all sit here at our meat, not only to appease physical demands, but because of our atavistic selves? They cry for release. Think back, Costain. Do you remember? That I once describes Biro as the epi- as the epitome of civilization. <laughs> Can you now see why? A brilliant man, he fully understands the nature of human beings, but unlike lesser men, he bends all his efforts to the satisfaction of our innate natures, without resultant harm to some. "'Innocent bystander.' "'Well, when I think back on the wonders of Lama Meirsten,' said Costain, "'I quite understand what you're driving at. "'And by the way, isn't it nearly due to appear on the bill of fare? "'It must have been over a month ago that it was last served.' "'The waiter, filling the tumblers, hesitated. "'I am so sorry, sir. Uh, "'No special this evening.' There's your answer, Loeffler grunted. And probably just my luck to miss out on it altogether the next time. Costain stared at him. Oh, come, that's impossible. No, blast it. Loeffler drank off half his water at a gulp, and the waiter immediately refilled the glass. I'm off to South America for a surprise tour of inspection. One month. Two months. Lord knows how long. Are things that bad down there? They could be better. Loeffler suddenly grinned. Mustn't forget, it takes very mundane dollars and cents to pay the tariff at Sbiro's. I haven't heard a word of this around the office. (laughs) Wouldn't be a surprise to her if you had. Nobody knows about this except myself. And now you. I want to walk in on them, completely unsuspected. Uh, Find out what flim-flammery they're up to down there. As far as the office is concerned, I'm off on a jaunt somewhere, maybe recuperating in some sanatorium from my hard work. Anyhow, the business will be in good hands. Yours, among them. Mine, said Costain, surprised. When you go in tomorrow you'll find yourself in receipt of a promotion. Even if I'm not there to hand it to you personally. Mind you, it has nothing to do with our friendship, either. You've done fine work, and I'm immensely grateful for it. Costain reddened under the praise. You don't expect to be in tomorrow. Then you're leaving tonight? Loffler nodded. I've been trying to wangle some reservations. And if they come through, well, this will be in the nature of a farewell celebration. Oh, you know, said coasting slowly, I devoutly hope that your reservations don't come through. I believe our dinners here have come to mean more to me than I ever dared imagine. The waiter's voice broke in. Do you wish to be served now, sir? And they both... Started. Oh, of course, of course, said Loeffler sharply. I, I didn't realize you were waiting. What bothers me, he told Costain as the waiter turned away, is the thought of the lamb Amirston I'm bound to miss. To tell you the truth, I've already put off my departure a week, hoping to hit a lucky night. Now, I simply can't delay any more. I do hope that when you're sitting over your share of Lamb of Meerston, you think of me with suitable regrets. Costain laughed. I will, <laughs> indeed, he said, as he turned to his dinner. Hardly had he cleared the plate when a waiter silently reached for it. It was not their usual waiter he observed. It was none other than the victim of the assault. Well, Costain said, how do you feel now? Still under the weather? The waiter paid no attention to him. Instead, with the air of a man under great strain, he turned to Loeffler. Sir, he whispered, my life, I owe it to you. I can repay you. Loeffler looked up in amazement and then shook his head firmly. No, he said. I want nothing from you, you understand? You have repaid me sufficiently with your thanks. Now, get on with your work and let's hear no more about it. The waiter did not stir an inch, but his voice rose slightly. By the body and blood of your God, sir, I will help you. Even if you do not want, do not go into the kitchen, sir. I trade you my life for yours, sir, when I speak this. Tonight, or any night of your life, do not go into the kitchen at Spiro's. Loffler sat back, completely dumbfounded. Not go into the kitchen. Why shouldn't I go into the kitchen if Mr. Sbiro ever took it into his head to invite me there? What's all this about? A hard hand was laid on Costain's back, and another gripped the waiter's arm. The waiter remained frozen to the spot, his lips compressed, his eyes downcast. What is all what about? Gentlemen, purred the voice. So opportune an arrival in time as ever, I see, to answer all the questions, huh? Loffler breathed a sigh of relief. Ah, Zbiro, thank heavens you are here. Now this man is saying Something about my not going into your kitchen. Do you know what he means? The teeth showed in a broad grin. But of course, this good man was giving you advice in all amiability. It so happens that my too emotional chef heard some rumor that I might have a guest into his precious kitchen and he flew into a fearful rage oh such a rage gentleman he even threatened to give notice on the spot and you can understand what that would mean to bureaus eh? fortunately I succeeded in showing him what a signal honor it is to have an esteemed patron and true connoisseur Observe him at his work firsthand, and now he is quite amenable. Quieter, he released the waiter's arm. You're at the wrong table, he said softly. See that it does not happen again. The waiter slipped off without daring to raise his eyes, and Spiro drew a chair to the table. He seated himself and brushed his hand lightly over his hair. Well, now, I'm afraid that the cat is out of the bag. (laughs) This invitation to you, Mr. Loeffler, was to be a surprise, but the surprise is gone, and all that is left is the invitation. Loeffler mopped beads of perspiration from his forehead. Are you serious? He said huskily. Do you mean that we are really to witness the preparation of your food tonight? Zabiro drew a sharp fingernail along the tablecloth, leaving a thin, straight line printed in the linen. Oh, he said. I am faced with a dilemma of great proportions. He studied the line soberly. You, Mr. Loeffler, have been my guest for ten long years. But our friend here... Costain raised his hand in protest. Oh, I understand perfectly. This invitation is solely to Mr. Loeffler... And naturally, my presence is embarrassing. Now, as it happens, I have an early engagement for this evening and must be on my way anyhow. So, you see, there's no dilemma at all, really. No, said Loeffler. Absolutely not. That wouldn't be fair at all. We've been sharing this until now. Costain, I won't enjoy this experience half as much if you're not along, Surely Spiro can make his conditions flexible this one occasion. they both looked at Spiro, who shrugged his shoulders regretfully. Costain rose abruptly. "I'm not going to sit here, Loeffler, and spoil your great adventure, and then too, he bantered, oh, think of that ferocious chef waiting to get his cleaver on you. <laughs> I prefer not to be at that scene. I'll just say goodbye," he went on, to cover Loeffler's guilty silence and leave you to Zbiro. I'm sure he'll take pains to give you a good show. He held out his hand, and Loeffler squeezed it painfully hard. You're being very decent, Costain, he said. I hope you'll continue to dine here until we meet again. It shouldn't be too long. Sbirro made way for Costain to pass. I will expect you, he said. Au revoir. Costain stopped briefly in the dim foyer to adjust his scarf and fix his homburg at the proper angle. When he turned away from the mirror... Satisfied at last, he saw with a final glance that Loeffler and Sbiro were already at the kitchen door. Spiro holding the door invitingly wide with one hand while the other rested almost tenderly on Loeffler's meaty shoulder. Introduction information for this episode is from The New York Times Stanley Ellen A writer Dies By Edwin McDowell Music today is Dark From Ivory Light And Bach Prelude in C minor performed by Steve Erquiaga and Bach, prelude in F minor, performed by Philip Auberg and Fur Alina by Arvo Part and Alexander Malter. And finally, Atlas by Laurel Halo. Remember. You can reach me at fastasleepwithginamarie44 at gmail.com or you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And please, keep us here for you as you comment, like, and subscribe. I thank you for listening. Key word. Meaty. Good night.